Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I'm thankful to have Eddie Ariola with me today. Eddie is the chairman and CEO of Apollo Bank, a Miami-based full-service commercial bank with over $850 million in total assets. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. I'm glad we've, we connected and had a chance to get to know each other a little bit. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you, and I, I appreciate it. It's an honor for me. Uh, so... Take us back to the beginning, you know, where you grew up, your your family situation and what type of kid you were. Yeah. So uh, I'm born and raised in Miami, Florida. I still live here. So I'm a local kid. Um, and, you know, this has always been my home. So I, I come from, you know, so I'm a, a product of, you know, a Cuban American family. And, and so the, you know, the stories, you know, a little bit, to, uh, you know, well told, well told of how um, this group. For the, you know, for the most part, came in 1960 after revolution. And it's a very unique situation where you had this influx of, um, you know, uh, generally speaking, you know, well-educated uh, people, you know, sort of a, an entrepreneurial group that came, you know, kind of really like a short distance, uh, but left with the shirts on their back, but but a little bit different in that, um, in that you know, especially initially, uh, we're sort of, you know, kind of welcomed by at least the, the, the federal government to this country. So they, you know, had, you know, uh, kind of an open door, which is not the case for, you know, for every immigrant story. Um, but also, you know, but they came here without, uh, you know, language and resources. And, and again, you know, different than, than many immigrant stories. Um, you know, a lot of times immigrants come, you know, I'm never going to go back for the most part, Cuban Americans are like, uh, you know, we're, you know, once the, the Marines at the beach were in, we're all going back to our, to our homes and, uh, and that's, you know, it's never happened. And so, uh, you know, very much a product of, of that community, a very you know, entrepreneurial uh, group that was, you know, very strongly uh, bound together. And, uh, and, and over the past now 60 years, I've built a, you know, a, a great, uh, you know, thriving community and, and made Miami a, an incredible international city. Um, so I was part of that, you know, and born uh, in the early 70s and, and part of that, that changing Miami community. I come from a family of five kids, as I was sharing with you, some four boys, youngest is a girl, you know, we're all, you know, sports fanatics. Um, at that time, it was great to be a, a football fan in, in Miami, we had the Dolphins and later the Miami Hurricanes and grew up playing sports and, um, and that sort of thing. So that, that's a, a little bit of sort of early origins. Yeah. Talk to me about, uh, the influence of being Cuban. Um, if I'm not wrong, right? No one was allowed to go there until like President Obama, right? Recently, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, so generally, you know. So I'm going to make some some general statements. You know, my experience is obviously not the experience of, uh, you know, of, of most people. But I, you know, I think it's it's a very unique, um, you know, immigrant uh, immigrant you know sort of subset in that. Um, you know, generally speaking, the uh, especially sort of the first wave that was able to sort of leave and want to leave were, were people that were, you know, sort of chased out or sort of saw the, the writing on the wall and that you had a, um, uh, you know, a, a socialist beginning, it became communist, you know, violent revolution. And, you know, the people that they were violent against was, you know, sort of the, the um, you know, the business owners and the educated and, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, a, a group, you know, came here, you know, with 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 no resource, not knowing the language or uh, or wealth or property, that sort of thing. But they did come here, sort of, you know, in a sense, you know, together. 
um, and uh, a, a very, very proud group. And as I mentioned, you know, again, sort of making a, a, a gross statement or a general statement, um, a vast majority of the group were like, you know, we're here and we love America and thanks for opening our arms, but, but we're going back, you know, and, and um, you know, the U.S. isn't going to allow, uh, you know, a, a, a Soviet ally, allied uh, country 90 miles from, from their shores um, when they have an alternative, you know, they had, they had a group that can just go back and, and govern if we just get a little help. So, um, there was always, you know, that was always sort of a, a conversation a topic of, you know, we're going back, we're going back, we're going back. Uh, but you weren't allowed to go back then for, 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 you know, a variety of different reasons until, um, you know, until, a, a, you know, a, you, you could, well, so I hesitate because you could go back, but under certain conditions, you had to go under either humanitarian license or if you had family there, um, you know, so it was very difficult to go. Um, but also within the community, uh, it was, it was very, the community being the Cuban American community in, in, in Miami, it was, uh, frowned upon to, to go back. And I know, you know, many stories of, um, you know, my, uh, my parents' friends who, who still had family members in Cuba in the seventies, eighties, nineties, even, you know, early two thousands that, said, you know, I want, you know, my, my grandmother, my great aunt's there and she's dying. I want to see her before she dies. And they would yeah. have to keep it secret. And it would be like a closely guarded secret. You wouldn't even tell family members that you went back to go visit a family member. Um, so it, it was, um, it was, it, it was frowned upon. Um, so I grew up to that was, you can never go back. You can never go back until the Marines at the beach or, um, or, or there's a change in government. Uh, my brothers and I, Again, we grew up in, in that, that sort of, you know, mind frame. Um, uh, my, my older brother and I were, were very involved in uh, in the Obama campaign. You know, going back to, you know, when, when he first announced. So, and you know, thinking about in the two, in fall of 2006 and uh, you know, beginning of 2007. And so we were, you know, early advisors about, you know, Latin America f foreign policy issues and specifically about Cuba. And that when, when, and we were like, this is crazy. We never even been to Cuba and we're advised so as soon as he became president, we're like in a conversation with, with different people. And we're like, I can't believe we've never gone back to Cuba. And so we, uh, me and two of my brothers went to Cuba in March of 2009 for the first time. Uh, we went under a humanitarian license and, uh, and it was incredible. And as soon as we, we got to that night, the first night we were there, um, you know, we, we, we thought about all the stories that we had always heard of, you know, the grass is greener, the mountains are more beautiful, the sky is bluer, the, you know, the water's clearer. And we thought it was BS and we got there and, you know, the, the water was clear, the sky was clear, <laughs> and the air, the, the, the air was you know, more comforting. And we called our dad that night and we're like, you should be here. You should be there. And like, he broke down. He's like, I don't know why I'm not there. And it was like, you know, a, a, his lifetime to sort of saying, can't go back, can't go back and being like, why am I not there with my sons? And he went, he ended up going a month later. So that was a, awesome. a long story, but that's a little bit of, of sort of the backdrop of sort of, you know, family conflicts of, of the issue of, you know, wanting to go and wanting to learn, but you can't and, and sort of the, the issues of the community of, um, uh, you know, making lives and, 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 you know, building success stories in the United States, but always being torn back, uh, you know, to, to, to a homeland. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting cause I'm thinking about my own parents and it was, it, you know, obviously they can go visit India anytime they want to. <laughs> so it's, it's such an interesting, uh, dynamic. Um, you know, yeah, and, 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 and India's far. Yeah. 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 It really is far too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, especially given what you do today, um, you know, as a, you know, as a, um, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, with, uh, Intel direct and now Apollo bank, was that something that was introduced to you at a young age or is, when did that come into yeah, your so, fruition? Yeah so, would, yeah. so I would say, um, so, uh, if I, you know, I think, I mean, coming over, so I was born in the United States, my, uh, both of my grandfathers uh, were entrepreneurs. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur. Um, I, you know, I didn't really see anyone that was, uh, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or that worked for anyone else. And so I, I think that was just sort of ingrained and that was the model and sort of the stories that were celebrated were entrepreneurial uh, success stories. Um, you know, again, especially in, in the Cuban American, you know, uh, again, making a, a general statement uh, the Cuban Americans came here and they didn't have the same access to, um, you know, to education, that sort of, that, 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 that first generation. So to become a doctor or lawyer wasn't as common uh, a thing or a goal because you didn't understand, you know, the language, you can, you know, it just it wasn't a thing that you sort of, you know, planned uh, for. And uh, so there's, you know, again, a lot of entrepreneurial success stories and those were the ones that were sort of, you know, looking back, celebrated, uh, in my house and then later on sort of the the stories i was um you know driven to would be you know the the steve jobs of the world and 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 that sort of thing so it's always you know i never thought about i just never did i mean it's yeah. not I, I viewed it negatively or, or whatever working i just never and i remember being i went to, you know like you i went to boston college and a bunch of my friends were you know in the carroll school school of management and and i was you know studying business and working but I wasn't, I was as arts and science and like, well, you, you care a lot about business. I was the only one that had a wall street journal subscription and read it every day. And they're like, why are you not like, how are you going to like, what's your plan to get a job? I'm like, I'm going to start my own company. What, what, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. You know, but I, I just never, like they would ask those questions. I'm like, why are they like, why, why are they asking that question? Like, it's weird. Of yeah. And they you grew up in an environment where that's what you saw. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's the, 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 the norm. So I, you know, I always, thought about that you know I, you know i've literally never had a boss um you know i yeah yeah so yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah i've um yeah i, I had uh you know one job interview is uh with you know, president barack obama that's considered for uh wow. for a position in, in his administration and and that was and that was it i'd never yeah. thought about working for anyone else except him and i you know and uh and we'll probably get to it uh i almost this past year, uh, worked for someone, someone else when we were uh, going to sell our business. And that was really weird. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, you mentioned Boston college, talk to me about your, you know, your junior and senior year of high school thought process, you know, Miami to Boston's a, you know, different, you know, different yeah. city, different, um, what, uh, what drew you to BC or, yeah. Uh, so so I have, or it's, it's funny. So I have a, an 18 year old daughter who's a senior now thinking about college and my son's 21 years old. He goes to Middlebury college and in, in Vermont. And so, you know, we have gone through the problem. They're like, how did you pick BC? And when they hear my reasons, they, they think it's ridiculous. So number one, quite frankly, uh, I was in seventh grade, uh, at the game in, you know, 1984, uh, Doug Flutie oh. Thanksgiving weekend yeah. playing the university of Miami. And that was the year he won the Heisman. Yep. And I thought that was the absolute greatest thing. And even though I grew up around you know, University of Miami football, I wanted to go away to college. And um, 
Wait, so you saw the Flutie pass yeah, to, to yeah. Phelan? Oh, yeah. wow. That's so, so, so I was in seventh grade, and uh, again, it was like Thanksgiving weekend, and it was you know such a big deal. And we were, my, my father had uh, season tickets, so we were on the visitor sideline on the 30-yard line, so you know, kind of near that, that end zone. And, um, and I remember the story. So again, I don't know if, if, if you know the football game. So UM is killing BC the first half, killing them. And um, there were two college kids. To, to us, they were much older, but they were now looking back at college kids that were in Miami for the weekend. And they were drunk. And we were a bunch. It was, I was, was my dad seen tickets, but I was also there with four of my friends. And we were yelling, oh, BC, this, that, you guys are losing. You guys are, and they were sort of, you know, egging us on. We were egging them. We had a good time. And at halftime, I remember it, it was, they were like getting kind of like, we're out of here. We're, we're going to Miami Beach to party. And we're like, ah, see you later. <laughs> Yeah, you remember laughing, and uh, they're like, "Oh, where should we go?" And we're like, "We're we're not even in high school. We don't know where to go." I remember, yeah. I remember like yesterday, and then they left, and then BC came back there, and then to this day, I'm thinking, I wish I knew who those two kids were. Yeah, that for the rest of the, I wonder if they tell oh, people man. they were like saw the play, or because maybe that's what they remember in their mind. But yeah, uh, but they left and took off. So that was you know how it got on my radar screen, um, and also on the radar screen of my older brother. My older brother ended up going to Boston College, so. Hmm visited and really liked it and um and the, even though i didn't play division one sports I, I loved you know big time sports and wanted to be around that environment that was sort of the picture i had in my head of what college life was like my, you know either one of my parents went to college and uh, i wanted to go away and be around that environment and uh so yeah so that was you know why uh i liked uh bc yeah how was uh you know as you look back uh you know, I don't want to say, I mean, I guess the environment you grew up was, was different, but I don't think the word entrepreneurship in the nineties was as big as it is today. Yeah, it definitely you know, was. Uh, in, in college, uh, I can't, I, uh, I, I never heard anyone talk about starting their own business. You know, not one person. Yeah. When everyone talked about, it was like, Oh, can I get a job interview with Morgan Stanley? Can I work for Fidelity? Um, not one and, and, or, or if it wasn't that, you know, there were, you know, um, they were in the school of nursing or they were going to be a teacher. They're going to join the armed services um, or, or uh, they're going to go to grad school or law school. But, but that was it. No, no one was really thinking about uh, again. I, I couldn't think of, of any one person. And I remember at that time it was a little, you know, pre-internet, but post-college, you know, you started to see, you know, you know some level of internet and, uh, and I had like one friend that had started like a brewing company in the mid. And I'm like, wow, oh, there's another guy that uh, is the way he thinks and, and that sort of thing. And um, but yeah, that that definitely wasn't a thing. Uh, and even my friends from high school, you know, very, you know, especially were thinking about that in college. You know, they thought about it later on. They'd work for someone and then go start a business. But it, was, it definitely wasn't a conversation of anyone I knew, you know, thinking about oh, I want to start my own business. Yeah. So I guess, uh, what did you, I, I guess for, if you had any advice to people uh, in terms of taking advantage of their college education, does anything come to mind with regards to that? Regarding? If um, they want to become a, you know, start their own business. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I, I, in a couple things. So one is, um, you, you want to start looking, you know, look, I think with anything in life, you know, looking, you know, for role models and sort of like, um, I think I want my life to look like 
this to go down this path and it never ends up that way but uh, you have um you have more power than than in my experience you have more power than you realize in sort of uh you know drafting a, you know creating a story and that's where you can certainly create a um you know sort of a not necessarily a script but an outline and 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 i i do believe that you can uh you know create a script for how you want to live your life and 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 your story and you're going to have twists and turns but um you, you do have more agency than than especially sort of nowadays in the united states and and that sort of thing um so so one is you know think about your role models and and, and who you want to be and follow them and learn and observe and and sort of, and, and get to know the real story right so you know, as we all know now, you know, the, the story of Steve Jobs is not that he's always up on stage at the annual, uh, you know, conference and he's, you know, solving every problem that he had a very, very complex life and, and, and a lot of twists and turns and he was kicked out of his company and started other companies and, you know, we, you know, the story, yep. um, but think about, you know, role models and get to really know the story and, and, you know, am I willing to pay the price for, uh, for that? Uh, the other is to get as much exposure as you can. Um, whether it's, um, you know, volunteering, whether it's if you're uh, in a position of like you're, you're in the purchasing department for, uh, for a big company and what is your job as you start thinking about what you want to do is like, you know, include in, in the, uh, in the RF, RFP process, uh, you know, other entrepreneurial firms and when they're coming to give their pitch, you know, hear their story. Um, so I, I think as much as exposure as you can get and ask, you know, the real hard questions and look sort of beneath the hood is certainly, um, you know, one thing that, that, that you can do, obviously, um, you know, reading and listening to, to podcasts and that sort of thing. And again, get, get to sort of know the, the, the real story because the, um, there's a significant price you have to pay for, for that type of, of lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about what your, your thought process and what you ended up, I think, of Avant, of Avanti yeah, so, and Case Hoyt. So, so right after, so I was trying to, so let me take a, a little bit of a step back. So, um, so in the summer of summer of ninety two, I was so I, in nineteen ninety one, I was always interested in government and politics and that sort of thing. So in, in the fall of nineteen ninety one, so there was a presidential election in nineteen ninety two. At that time, again, everyone assumed George Bush was going to win a, a second term and things started to turn. I'm like, oh, I'm interested in government and politics. There's a wide open, uh, I was a Democrat. Um, there's a wide open field. Being in, in, in Boston, it's really close to New Hampshire and the New Hampshire primary was really important because at that time, one of the Democrat, uh, uh, one of the guys running for the Democratic nomination was, was a guy named uh, Tom Harkin. Uh, who was a U.S. senator from Iowa. So he had Iowa locked up. So it's always Iowa or New Hampshire. So New Hampshire became really important. So all the candidates were going to be there. And it was really important. I'm like, wow, I'm right down the way is a great way to get involved. Let me find a candidate to, to follow and see if I can get in, involved. And you know, the candidate, you know, the campaign decided to get involved in was uh, the Bill Clinton campaign. And that was fun and interesting. Obviously, you know, you know he won the nomination. But at that time, it was crazy. It, you know, he was, you know, he had all, all the women issues and the draft dodging issues. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he was a big underdog, big underdog yeah. and, you know, uh, the Southerner up in, up in that area. So it was a really cool to fight. And he was the underdog and, and he, he liked sports stories and that sort of, it was fun to be a part of. And then, um, 
you know, he obviously had, you know, legendary names like, you know, uh, James Carville and George Stephanopoulos, but he had other people like that around this really bright people from, um, you know, other types of campaigns that were doing things differently than, than what other people were doing. So to be a part of that was great fun. And, you know, um, and one of the things I love about, uh, I, I really encourage young people to get involved in, in uh, political campaigns because uh, you just get so much, you get so much responsibility. There's like, here you go, work seven days a week, as many hours as you can. You get whatever, you know, if you work hard, you can, they'll just give you more responsibility. You don't get paid or, or you get paid very little, but you get so much responsibility. And there's a beginning date and there's an end date and there's a winner and there's a loser. And you go home and you sort of, and that's, and, and, and if you're interested in politics, it's either a great way to sort of get involved early on or just to get it out of your system. And so anyway, so that was fall of 91 and Clinton battled through and ended up getting the nomination. So that summer, uh, so I had worked on, so the, the fall of 91, all through the, the um, I guess the, 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 the second semester of my sophomore year, you know, 92, and then, you know, things broke. And then he went to the national convention and, um, you know, uh, I can't, I guess he'd already had the country. So he wasn't, uh, he was going to get the nomination. So there really wasn't much to do in, in Florida. And, uh, and I wanted to come back to, to, to Florida for the summer. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And uh, my dad was an entrepreneur and owned a company. This company, Avanti, was a, a printing company and he had creative services and that sort of thing. And he's like, what are you going to do this? I'm like, I just got here. I don't know. And he's like, I had this project I'm working on, uh, trying to get more employee involvement. And, and again, this is 92. And he's like, I don't know how to work a computer. I don't know how to do this stuff. I have to do a presentation. I kind of want to give this to my employees. I want to interview them, but I don't know how to do that. And, and or I just didn't want to do it. He goes, you know, will you work on this project for me for two weeks? So I'm like, great. I got nothing else to do. Yeah. And um, so I go with him every day for two weeks and I'd interview his employees for this particular project that he wanted to, want to get employee feedback and then, um, you know, get an employee participation. And at the time, like a big deal was like, uh, you know, creating employee steering committees and total quality management. And he was sort of in manufacturing. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. So I did it for two weeks. And it was really interesting because at that time, so when, it, and when he sold his company, actually 20 years ago yesterday, um, and, uh, and he'd had it for a number of years. And um, he, at, when, at the time he sold it, he had 1,400 employees. At the time I wow. went to work there, he probably had about 450 employees. And so I went to work with him. And so many of the employees were just so excited to see me. And they'd see me growing up at company picnics, but see me as like an adult and going to work with him and me talking to them engaged. And I saw just how enthused they were. And then by the end of those two weeks, um, I really saw sort of, you know, why they were enthused. They're like, oh, wow, the next generation is going to take this over. I want to stay at this job forever. And it's good to see that this guy is not going to, you know, sell his business and go on a boat and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I saw the impact that, uh, so I wanted to get into politics and government because I thought that's a great way to have an impact on the world. Uh, but then I saw, you know, sort of his role as an entrepreneur and job creator and the impact it has on, you know, very specific families and sort of this employee participation where I asked like, well, you know, what else can we do? And, you know, and, and all these sorts of things and really realizing as an employer, um, again, you can, you can uh, really affect people's lives and, and make their lives better or not, or choose not to. And I'm like, wow, it, that, that was really impressive. It really had an impact. So at the end of those two weeks, we completed the project. He did like a big presentation. It was great. And I'm like, all right, you made all these promises. Who's going to take this over on Monday? And then he was like, 
why don't, you know, what are you doing this summer? You know, like, why don't you come back? And I stayed the remainder of that summer and just really loved the employee engagement. Again, you know, the impact you can have uh, on employees. Yeah. And, uh, and he was enthused and I liked working with him, but I knew that we couldn't work together long-term. And uh, so I stayed working with him, you know, off and on, even while I was in college and, um, you know, the remainder of my two years. And I knew like I wanted to start my own business. So when I came back to work with him, um, or so when I, when I graduated, I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back and work with him. And I gave it a go to be like, all right, I'm going to, you know, whatever, eventually take over his business. And that's not what I, I wanted to do. I wanted to start my own business. Yeah. Started, um, it was a little too early. Uh, started an, an internet company and called us web in uh, 1995 and it was a web development. So I'd got people and say, go to businesses and say, Hey, there's this thing called the World Wide web. Uh, you need to be on it. It's going to change everything about your, your business and, and, and the world. You should sell your products on it. You should communicate with your customers. And I do these long presentations and people would be like, Oh wait, is this the same as AOL? How do I get on AOL? I'm like, gosh, yeah. it was just a little too early. I started the business in hindsight, actually, you know, sort of, a, a sort of abandoned that mission a little too early, but I just didn't know. I was too young. Didn't you know the internet was too young. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, had actually you know, raised capital, had revenue, uh, positive cash flow. It just wasn't. Again, had, had I known the things that we, that I knew now to have sort of a board of advisors and all that sort of stuff. And um, and at the time, my dad had. Well, so uh, I would go out and pitch to people like, "Hey, you should have an online, you know, catalog." And uh, and I went to, there's a, a big department store down here in, in Florida. It's called the Florida department store. It's called Burdines. I went to Burdines, did a real big pitch. And I remember like if it were yesterday, boardroom full of, uh, you know, merchandise buyers and, and, uh, and, and, and heads of, you know, the advertising department, the marketing department and operations department. And after my presentation, they're like, Eddie, this one guy, his name is Gilbert. And he's like, uh, that was a great presentation. Um, we have a couple problems with it. Uh, Number one, um, last week, another company came in and did the exact same presentation. And their company's name is Time Warner. And Time Warner at the time had a company, a division called Roadrunner. So Roadrunner, they were going to develop these, these online channels and, and that sort of thing. And they were going to, and they go, and so Time Warner came in here and they said that they were going to do it. Time Warner, Eddie Ariola. Okay. They're bigger and better, more, a little, little, yeah. Yeah. uh, have a you know better track record so that's number one number two you're saying that you could do all this for just under a million dollars they're saying that they're gonna do it for free and we're gonna have a revenue share so that, that's problem number two wow. and they go problem number three is if you're right and people go to our website and order shirts and ties and and dresses we have no way of getting them to them because we're a department store and we have sales reps selling stuff to to people and we don't have a place to put these things in a box and we don't want to have people coming in there and handling returns and, and that sort of thing. I'm like, well, I, you know, I can't change my name to, to Time Warner. Um, we need to have, you know, revenue. Um, but the, uh, so there's nothing I can do at the first two, but the third thing, you know, I can definitely t- definitely handle, we can set up, um, you know, a, a trial program and do have a couple SKUs and they can order a couple products and uh, we'll pick, pack, and ship it, and we'll do all the online customer service, and we'll set up uh, an 800 number to handle all the c- customer service. 
And, and we didn't do it with Burdines, but we had a couple other customers. I remember the first one was a, a, a tea. Actually, there's been around for hundred years. Uh, RC Bigelow, Bigelow Tea. Yeah. And then, and we had a couple of uh, Godiva did a little pro- a project with us and a couple others. And uh, it was trial runs. And then, and that's what we did. So we set up the website and then my father had this big printing company with big warehouses. And I'm like, Hey, can we take a little space and I'm going to put some boxes and, and ship them out. And uh, can we use a conference room to take 800 numbers, you know? And, and, and so that business started to really become our pitch. And, um, and over the course of time, uh, sort of that offer became more interesting. And my father's business started to use those services for some of their clients and the call center uh, fulfillment business just became a much bigger business and sort of abandoned, you know, um, the, uh, the, whatchamacallit, the, um, you know, the really the sort of the, the, the web. The web. Yeah. Because the other thing was generating revenue and growing and, and that sort of thing. So that business became what is now Inktel and sort of the, the name and that business has been around for 20 years. And that's, I'm partners with uh, myself and, and two of my brothers and, uh, and yeah, so that's sort of how that that emerged. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, as a young leader, uh, you know, you're making these presentations. How are you building trust with clients? Because I think that can often be a stereotype that's, you know, people don't trust, you know, young CEOs uh, to deliver. They don't have the experience or knowledge or. You know, they're yeah, two so, helter so, skelter. So, um, yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, as, as human beings, you know, we have to learn, accept in the day that you figure this out, it's sort of like a superpower, which is, um, you know, all the self doubt that you have as a young CEO, the, the, the other guy, the other, 99% of the other people have incredible self doubt too. So the people that you're pitching, uh, so, and so sometimes you get over it by just having um, incredible confidence um, or, or, or an undeserved ego or whatever it is, but sometimes just being aware, like, Oh, that guy's got quest. Like I know a lot about my stuff. He maybe knows a lot about his stuff. Um, so, you know, just having that awareness of like whatever self doubt you have, um, that, you know, they ain't so special either. And they're going to have their own self doubt. So we're kind of on, on, on level playing fields. Um, number one, number two on, on, um, on the credibility is have incredible, incredible, incredible follow-up. And that's what I, I think is um, a skill that um, that I developed and learned early on where, you know, I'd immediately um, you know, at the time, you know, email or call until if they, if I said I was gonna get them a proposal that day, I was gonna get them a proposal that day. I, if they made some little comment about, um, you know, whatever their, their favorite color, their, their favorite sports team, I, I would, I would follow up. And t- I mean, and I, I think that's a super, uh, a superpower I have, you know, to this day. And, and so the example, when I first, you know, you and I met through the connection at, at Babson, um, that when I first spoke to a group, you know, uh, a while back, that was one of the things I said, you know, to this day, I still write hand, you know, handwritten letters and, you know, note cards and send them to people. And the amount of people that don't do it is always amazing. And everyone's always so impressed. And everyone I do, it's like, wow, even to this day, it's still powerful. And I could tell you several of the key um, events that have happened to me professionally have been uh, as a result of a handwritten note where people just like, it really stood out. And I was very specific, not, it's not like, oh, Nave, good to meet you and stuff. But, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, you and I had a conversation earlier about basketball, you know, you know, maybe, you know, 
retracing a specific uh, you know conversation. And again, I can give you I mean, so many examples. So uh, follow up and being very specific is one way to um, you know to, to to start to build credibility. Of course, you know the others. You know you do your homework. You go in prepared. Um, you have a good you know a better you know a better work product. A, you know well written letter, well written proposal. Um, you know, you're constantly, you know, learning and growing. Um, like I was, I was, got a pitch yesterday, a Zoom pitch from someone, a startup that's, you know, some banking product. And the second slide in, there was 50 things on the slide. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, hey, like I'm here. I, one of the reasons I took this because at a, a friend of mine's an investor in the company. I go, I know you're here to pitch me, but I'm mostly doing it. Uh, as a my friend's name is Alex, as a friend, as a favor to Alex to assess his investment. Um, I'm looking at this slide. I have no idea what this means. Like this is, you have 50 things going on. What's the theme of this? What's the one thing I got to know from this slide? And the guy was like a pissed off and like offended and like, oh, this is really, and I was like, no, but listen to me. Like I'm saying, I'm looking at this confused and especially on Zoom, I'm focusing, I'm like, I'm not listening because I feel, and so I think you just got to, you know, really listen and really learn. And that's one of the ways you build credibility and, and you respect, um, you know, these older people in these different positions and be like, all right, they do have something to offer and let me take. So those are some of the ways, um, those are some of the ways. That you yeah. Yeah. No, that, that level of care of the handwritten note is, uh, that's an awesome lesson. You know, you mentioned it a little bit The you know, you, the partners are your brothers and, uh, you know, um, there's a personal relationship there, right? And then there's also yeah. a business relationship and visions and, you know, direction of company. I'm I'm curious, you know, in terms of working with family, any um, lessons or... Yeah, so it's very difficult, yeah. especially the individual. So, so like I mentioned, I went to work for my dad. And um, so my father when he was, you know, the same age that I was when I first went, went to work for his father and, and very shortly uh, they had a falling out and they, and then they didn't work together. And my father had a terrible experience, terrible experience. So that was one thing that he was very conscious of um, was his terrible. So he never pushed any of us uh, into the business. So that's why for me going to work, wasn't like, it wasn't sort of something that was expected. It was just, Hey, this, yeah, I got nothing going on. Let me go do it. So I never really felt any pressure to do it uh, because he had had such a bad experience. Um, and my father and I are, uh, are very, very different. And, um, and you know, not, not better, but very different. And, uh, and so he was very aware of that and didn't want to sort of push it and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I would say we had a, a good working relationship, but we just <laughs> never meant to be partners or, so we never had a falling out. We never had anything. Um, uh, but, you know, we had to sort of, uh, you know, know each other and, and, you know, and I always, you know, I sort of wanted to go do something different because I just couldn't separate the two. And, uh, and it was hard for him to be, you know, you know, do I work for him? You know, are we partners? Is, you know, is he my dad? You know, how much do I get involved? You know, when I hear other people that work for him, you know, do or say things, you know, and he doesn't sort of, you know, fire this guy and gives favoritism to the other guy, you know, I can't internalize it. So um, I just didn't like it. And, and, and I just couldn't manage that internally. So that's why I sort of didn't stay with it. Um, 
and then uh, you know working with my brothers and you know, we don't work together anymore. You know, they still they run that business. I'm out of it. They're they're they they really run. Uh, I shouldn't say that. They really run. It. They run that business. I'm I'm a a, a passive shareholder there. Um, they really run that business and have done phenomenally well. And um, and it was it's very difficult. And and so what worked was that there was three brothers. So we sort of had one you know one of us would drive another you know, crazy and say you have someone to talk about it. But it, it's a very difficult thing to you know, how do you separate, um, you know, again, sort of, you know, do you get together on the weekends or not? When do you talk about work or not? Um, what are the different ambitions or, or goals? Um, you know, how you incorporate, you know, uh, you know, spouses and that other sort of thing. It, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very hard. And um, I always, uh, in, in, in my business as a community bank, we focus on entrepreneurs and family-owned businesses. And, and I think one of the reasons we've had success is I go into a family business. I get the stories. I get the father-son relationships, the brother-sister relationships, the husband-wife, the divorces. Um, you know, I play sort of you know, uh, you know, advisor to these people, and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons um, again why we've been able to go after that market. But it, it, you know, it, I think it's it's so 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 hard. And why, you know, as human beings, we're attracted to TV shows like Succession or, uh, you know, Shakespearean drama. And it's these stories have been with us forever. So, yeah. You know, one other, you know, thing, especially because you hadn't, you know, worked at a huge, big company. I'm curious, how were you able to build uh, a corporate culture? that you know you know the processes of you know yeah. human resources and all i mean because you know it's one thing for someone to experience that for 10 years at morgan stanley and then yeah. you know if they start their own bank they have that okay this is you know how hr runs how did you guys you know build yeah. that professionalism and, and that structure yeah so so um a couple things um one was because it sort of, you know, fell into it. So, you know, so I did have a little experience and then my father, you know, he, he had a business and he had a bunch of employees. So I saw sort of the value of, true, true. of yeah. a corporate culture and, um, and the role of CEO plays and, and how you treat people and, and that sort of thing. So I had, you know, a little bit of exposure um, to, you know, I studied a little bit of business. I was very, you know, I've always been, you know, uh, an active reader. And like I said, you know, I was, um, you know, I, since my freshman year in high school, read the Wall Street Journal every day. I was sort of just very uh, interested in sort of the machine of business. Um, but the other thing I picked up really early on was, you know, for better, you know, like I said, in this internet business, I was calling on large companies. And so I'd have to learn how to navigate through, like, who's it? All right, they match me up with the IT person. No, I want to talk to the marketing person. No, the real decision maker here. And so I would see how you know, whether consciously or not, how decisions are made in organizations and what works and what doesn't. And, and so just sort of being a, a, an observer of how big companies work. And I've always worked with, um, I shouldn't say always, that for the first part of my career, I, I worked with big companies and learned how they work and how they think and how they make decisions and what works and what doesn't. Um, and that's helped me, you know, start a business and incorporate, you know, I've, uh, um, you know, a, a smaller business than some of, you know, my, my old clients, but able to incorporate, you know, I, again, I, you know, I, literally every day, uh, 
you know, I go back and, you know, rethink, you know, with my management team, you know, uh, again, corporate culture and the importance of, you know, organization, how we make decisions and, um, and it's, you know, been sort of a, a lifetime of business experience, but and also, you know, even, even now it's, you know, executive education, it's, you know, constant learning. Um, but it, yeah. it, it, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. You know, I saw that you uh, were a board member for Total Bank. Is that, uh, does that have a big impact on, you know, sparking the interest and, you know, eventually starting Apollo Bank? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the biggest, so, um, like I said, so as an entrepreneur interested in business, you know, started, you know, this particular, uh, you know, these different businesses, because you know, along the way, there's other things we started and were successful, not whatever. Um, but I was just very, very interested in business and, and at, uh, a whole different sort of story when I, after I hit age 30, I sort of like, you know, what do I want to do with, with sort of the, you know, the rest of my life, where am I, um, and at the time, you know, being an entrepreneur, again, it, 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 I think it's, it's a young person's game because you just, it's constant. It's always on your mind. So if you're not putting in the hours at the office, it's just, it's all encompassing. You're just always thinking about it. And I had kids and I was always on the road and it was just, I'm like, man, I, I just can't do this forever. It's, it's, you know, eating me. And like I said, my brother's my two partners and, you know, just going crazy. And, and, um, and so I, I, at age 30, I, I don't want to say I freaked out, but I was like, what, what am I doing? And, and over the course of, um, you know, two years sort of thought of I me mean, when I turned 32, I said, not because I was 32, just so happens to be sort of two years to sort of play this out in my head. I'm like, uh, and I graduated when I was 22, graduating college. I'm like, I want the next 10 years to look much different than, than my last 10 years. And so I'm like, you know, you know, literally wrote a 10 year plan and I called it project 42. And I'm like, these are all the steps I want to do. And that's what I talked about earlier with you. Um, you know, I, I really do believe that you can, you know, sort of, um, you know, create a, a, a skeleton script for what you want your life to be. And, and from that project 42, that 10 year plan, I, I can't tell you how much was dead on. And so one of the things I was like, I want to start a different business in a different industry. And I want to learn more about different industries that I'm not involved in, including uh, finance. And I want to be involved in as a board member of another organization. And I want to focus more on a business that's more local based. Because at the time I was calling on Fortune 500 companies in our other business, and I was always on the road, and you know, I was in Columbus, Ohio, or Seattle, Washington, or just all over. And uh, and I didn't, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, part of my personal scorecard was, um, you know, how many nights a week am I going to have dinner with my kids? And if I was in that other job, I couldn't do that. Like I was, I was, I was never going to hit my my benchmark. So, anyways, again, sort of, you know, long story, um, you know, kind of like you know, you put it out there. Uh, and you just become more aware. If you write it down and you, and you articulate it when the opportunity comes up, and there was a little bank here called Total Bank in Miami that was having some different issues, and it had one supermajority shareholder, uh, and it was sort of a, a family friend, someone I knew, and, and this woman who was a supermajority shareholder was having trouble recruiting board members. And a community bank, you get uh, board members from your community that have access to your community, know what's going on, and you have governance because uh, a bank board members are not just um, responsible to the shareholders, they're also responsible to the depositors. You know, you have FDIC insurance. So, uh, so th this woman was trying to put together, you know, shareholders, I'm sorry, uh, board directors. And she struggled and she's like, I want young people that are really involved. And uh, she approached me and said, I, you know, 
I'll give you an opportunity to invest and I'll give you an opportunity to be on the board of directors. Um, but you got to work really hard and you got to really learn the business. And, and I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. And so I, um, I had an incredible experience. I really liked the idea of, of a community bank and building and not because of me, but while I was there, I went from a small little bank that wasn't profitable and had some regulatory issues to growing in five years. Uh, so I went from $450 million in assets and then five years later to $1.7 billion in assets, went from unprofitable to one of the most profitable banks, sold for a record price. It was a great story. And that was in November of 2007. And along the way, I had said, you know, one day I'd love to do this on my own. I'd love to start a bank. And at the time I was, you know, again, my mid thirties. And uh, one day when I'm in my sixties, I want to start a bank. I want to be involved in my community. I want to build a, a business that, 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 that does well by the community, but is also good for shareholders. Then we had this event in two, uh, 2007. Um, it was a you know a, a good financial event for for me. It wasn't you know all the money in the world, but it was a it, it was good. And uh, a lot of other really well run community banks in, in our community had been sold. And then the financial crisis came, so it was like there's service void. And then the financial crisis, and uh, and at the time I went. So I don't know if you're familiar with an organization called YPO. I'm a member of YPO. You know, it's one of the mm. best. So three, three best things I ever did professionally. One was join this organization. I, 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 Original was called, uh, I, I joined an organization called EO. It had a sister organization or called YPO. And so joining the, the, those organizations is the best thing. I, I, I um, enrolled in a three-year executive edu education program at Harvard Business School called OPM, Owner President Management. Again, sort of, greater appreciation for the machine of business. Uh, and third thing was, you know, starting a bank. And I didn't, and so I, at the time I was part of this organization, YPO, and my, what's called a forum, sort of like this little mini group of personal board of directors. I had presented a business idea. I'm like, I want to, I'm going to break off from working with my brothers. I want to start my own business. And I presented an idea and it was, it was a social media idea. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm like, oh, social media is a thing. Yeah. And they're like, you didn't even understand what you just presented. You have no, <laughs> like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Um, I thought, you know, they were all like, we thought you were going to present a bank. That's an exciting idea. I'm like, no, no, I, I want to do that like 30 years from now. And they're like, do it now. You know, now's the time. You're going to start a business. You just had this event. There's an opportunity. And and there's this, this at the time, it wasn't a financial crisis. It was like, hey, there's this like banking recession. Like when you, by the time you start up, it'll all be over. And, uh, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I'm like, yeah, I've never worked in a bank. I was a board member, but, uh, and I went around the country, talked to 40 different people that had started a bank and said, here's what I'm thinking about doing. What are your thoughts? Who else should I talk to? And uh, I had this little red notebook and filled it up and uh, put together a game plan that most people, including my father said, uh, you're, you're, you're crazy. It's not going to work. And I remember telling my father and my father being like, it's really sad that you're not going to work with your brothers anymore. Uh, you're going to run out of money. Don't come to me. And uh, this may be the dumbest thing you've ever done. I'm like, I'm doing it. Yeah. And uh, my brothers were incredibly supportive and um, yeah. And just, you know, went through and, and, you know, had never raised money, had to raise money um, again during a financial crisis. And then that's a whole other super long story. Talk to me about how you manage fear, because I mean, that that's one thing, you know, it, it's one thing if you work at a bank for 20 years and then you're like, OK, I want to start a bank. But, you know, you've your experiences are in 
you know, telemarketing and, and things of that nature. And then obviously you have this board member experience, but I mean, to a certain point, you had to manage fear at a, at a pretty good level to be able to have, you know, yeah, the desire to start, you know, a bank on your own. Yeah. So, so I would say that the number one way is, you know, I'm, uh, it, it's always worked for me to have, you know, a plan. So, uh, like I said, I had this 10 year plans, you know, project 42 started when I was 32. And if I were to go back and show you all the things that I wrote out, it, it'd be ridiculous how much I come. And I remember sort of like towards the end of that project 42 being like, you know, holy shit, like this thing really worked. One, that's scary. And two, like, why didn't I shoot higher? Imagine if I would have shot higher. And then, um, yeah. And, and then, so the, the, that's one thing. So I'd always go back to that. And even now, so I have a new, you know, when I had sort of this event and COVID, I redid my plan. So now, um, you know, I have this, you know, project uh, I'm 48, uh, you know, restarted and uh, recalibrated and, uh, you know, project 58. And I, I I, I certainly revisit. So I revisited yesterday because yesterday was February one. So now I'm telling. I want to make sure I revisit this ten-year plan, which works back to a five-year plan, which works back to a three-year plan, which works back to a one-year plan. And so I just always like that's my guiding, uh, you know, sort of it's my roadmap. And you know, so the, you know, the, you know, the map is not the terrain, but it helps you sort of show you, you know, where you want to go and how you're going to get there, and you recalibrate. So one big thing is knowing where you want to go. And having a, an idea of how you're going to get there. So when, you know, when, when I've been confronted with issues, I just go back to I'm like, all right, I'm supposed to do this. This is the, you know, and I've, I've, I've you know, growing up, um, you know, and like you asked, you know, in high school, I was a competitive wrestler and uh, competed nationally. And and it, you know, you have to do the work. And and wrestling is one of those sports where it's like, you know, I broke, you know, uh, my hand several times, my nose several times, and a bunch of other stuff. And you got to do the work, and you, and, but you know that if you if you run the miles and and you know you, you you practice all the double legs and you do like you put in the work over the course of time, like it's it's um you're gonna you know get to a to a certain goal, um so yeah so the the, the business plan long term plan so that that's one you know second uh, is sort of like to name the fear so like you know I, I'm big into journaling and I'll even do you know it's called noting so if I'm like why am I paralyzed right now why am I and I'll literally note down, like, it's, it's this specific thing. It, it's, I'll try, try to del drill down it and it's whatever I'm, you know, fear of being, you know, why, why is it, why, why is it so difficult to make this phone call? It's a fear of maybe being rejected or it's fear that I don't feel I have enough information or fear that I don't, this person won't accept me or like me. And I'll be like, well, who cares if he like, but, but, I, but it's funny because inside I'll be like, I want this person to like me. And then when I, when I give it a name and write it down, I'm like, I actually don't, I really don't care if that person likes me. Why has that been holding me back? But yeah. it's only through sort of naming it and 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 talking, you know, talking about it in the sense of myself. So those are two of two of the ways. I you know I I've I've really never had, um, you know, mentors or people that 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 I can go to. I have some peers that I go to, but never really had. And that's one of the things I sort of always working for yourself. It's hard to find uh, mentors, and if you're always the boss and always the the person. It's very hard to put yourself in a vulnerable position and go out to find people to to talk to and that sort of thing. I'm also curious, you know, your personal life. You know, you're you're married. Um, you have kids at this point. You know, maybe you have a mortgage. 
how are you you know is your wife just always very super supportive or like i mean because you know to make that big of a decision uh yeah, so, so i would tell you so and it's, and it's not bullshit it, it's uh my, my wife is incredibly supportive it's you know it's ridiculous so i remember again hey i want to start a bank. i mean it's so weird and, and she'd actually worked in banking for and, and she hated it she hated banks she hated banking she hated, and she, she was in a brief period of time and left it she's like i hate banks i hate the culture of you know rule you know rule following regular and, and regulations and just sort of you know the only way you can move up if the person ahead of you dies and that's sort of, and i also sort of saw what she was doing like oh i'm smarter than all those people i can figure that out yeah and uh when i told her that was what i wanted to do um you know, she's like, all right, whatever you want. And then, and, and so, but we, you know, we, we set some sort of, um, you know, some, you know, some sort of, you know, guardrails where it was at the time, our kids were in a really good private school where we loved the other parents and when the kids look and so she, and she was like, all right, you know, I don't care if we go back to zero, but zero can't mean that our kids suffer. I want to keep them in this school. So we don't have to buy a bigger house. We don't have to buy, um, you know, a boat or whatever it is. Um, but we, I want to keep the kids in, in this school because it makes me happy, makes them happy. And they're going to, you know, their education is really important to us. Uh, so some of those things we sort of, you know, uh, laid it out and she was, you know, and, and, um, incredibly supportive. And I remember the day I'm like, all right, you know, this, it was January 15, 2008. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start going through this process. This is the day. And, uh, and I, you know, she, she bought this beautiful brown leather briefcase, for me and the handwritten and she had a handwritten note in there and uh you know word of encouragement and she's like you know good luck and is very supportive and, and so so that was and then and you know different things um throughout life she's been you know incredibly supportive so that was you know that was great it has been great you know even even through all that we've been through um but you know one of the things going back to this again sort of project 32 i'm sorry project 42 and i knew that is um you know, you know, my, my, you know, my, my own personal, uh, you know, KPIs and, and live them, you know, and, and um, so, you know, one of the things going back to when I was in my early thirties, one of the things was I, I want to make sure I'm home, you know, more, more time with my kids. When I, when, my, when I told my wife why I was doing these things, she's like, yeah, those are the things I want in my life too. And, um, you know, I want to be involved in, in a, in a business that was deeply rooted in the community. And she's, um, involved in many charities and has been in, 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 and led a, a bunch of not-for-profits. And um, so we had sort of the, the same, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of guiding principles and, and sort of, you know, uh, you know, again, sort of these KPIs and, uh, and yeah, and even, you know, moving forward, I mean, I, I still stick by these, these KPIs and she's on board. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask was, you know, I always ask this with, you know, successful entrepreneurs, you know, when I, I don't know if you can bring yourself to the 2008 mindset, but did you consider failure? I mean, obviously now, yeah. um, 12 years later, obviously it, you know, you're the furthest thing from failing, but yeah, you know, so, at, at but, that year one, year zero stage. All the time. Like when I find myself sort of I'm like, um, what's the worst can happen? So I, so I run and so I, I, I run a lot. Uh, I don't run to win races. I don't measure my time. It's sort of my therapy. And and, and when I do run, I'll, I'll go through a couple of different uh, mental exercises. And so one, um, one will be as an example, if I'm really, you know, 
uh, sort of, you know, scared about something or worried about something, I'll sort of work through what are all the different worst case scenarios, you know. Um, can they eat me? Can they torture me? Um, will I be thrown in jail? And I'm like, you know, the answer to everything at least that I've faced has been no. I'm like, all right, so I'm not going to be tortured by lions. I'm not going to be put in jail. Um, and then I start, you know, working back. I'm like, you know, am I going to lose my house? Am I, am I, my kids like, and so I start, I'm like, all right, so the really, really bad shit ain't going to happen. And then, so I work and then, so I'm like, okay, what really can happen? Oh, okay. This is, you know, this particular situation, I might have to, I might end the lawsuit. All right. So let me work through, well, if I'm going to be in a lawsuit, who do I want on my side? Um, is it the lawyer I currently have? Do I need to get a lawyer uh, that's in DC, you know, whatever. And so, and so that's, um, you know, sort of, you know, one of the ways that, that I address it. Another is you were talking about going back to 2010. I would say uh, two of the people that I talk to the most often is uh, uh, the, my future self and my past self. So literally this, this weekend, uh, I guess it was Sunday, like the, I was going to go running. I'm like, here's the thing I'm going to think about. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to, you know, um, the 18, so I'm 48, the 18 year old Eddie, what would he say about me now? And what would I say to him? If I only had two minutes, what would I tell him? And then I get zapped back into the future. And then the, the 28 year old daddy, what would I tell him if I only had two minutes? And, and what would, if he saw me right now, what would he say about it? And then the same, the, 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 the 10, the Eddie of 2010, the 38 year old, um, what would he say about me right now? And, and what do I want to tell him if I only had those two minutes? So I, I do that, you know, pretty often. Yeah. And I write that down. I have, you know, I have a journal. I have this, like I said, this project, personal project pen that I go back and, oh yeah, that, that was, you know, sort of one of the things I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let me go think about this and sort of work myself while I was running, work myself through talking to the 18 year old me and, you know, back, you know, so yeah. You know, I, I don't want to say that banking is commoditized, but you know, a lot of it, you know, it, it's streamlined, right? There's, you know, mortgages, it, it is, there's it, business it is, it is, uh, loans. Super, especially the banking that we do, uh, it's super commoditized. And um, so there's 5,000 community or 5,000 banks in the country. There is um, a me in every single city, if not what, you know, I, I shouldn't say me like an entrepreneurial sort of CEO, but there's a CEO running, you know, around a billion dollar bank in, in every market. And then, so I, and I, I say that because I'm, I reach out to a lot of those in different markets and we're like, Hey, you do exactly my job, but we don't compete. Let's, you know, how do you, how do you compete in your market? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it's very, it's very hard to differentiate ourselves. Yeah. I, that's what I was going to ask is, especially in those early years, how are you differentiating yourself as a, as a bank, you know, especially cause you don't have, you know, it's not been the neighborhood bank for the last 20 years. It's a start, like, it's not a startup, but it's, you're building. Yeah. So banking is a little bit different because you, 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 in order to get to day one, you have uh, a certain level of credit. So you have to get regulatory approval. You have to have a certain, you know, a certain amount of, of capital. Uh, we had started originally as a, it's called a DeNovo bank. We were going to, you know, start from scratch. We ended up acquiring a little bank. That was a whole other sort of, you know, crazy scenario. I'd never acquired you know, a company to raise capital and we did those. Uh, so, you you know, there is some instant credibility. And again, in the nature of my business, um, a lot of it's about personal service. So I built a management team that I was able to leverage, um, you know, their credibility. So the guy, I, I knew that. So when I went around and talked to these 40 different 
people and, and all the, you know, when I first started bank, they're like, Hey, you have great ideas. You, you seem like you're going to be successful, but you need an old gray haired person that's going to stand by your side. And so that's, I had a guy who was, you know, uh, the president of our bank for, you know, the first seven years. Um, and I sort of leveraged, uh, you know, his credibility. So those are some of the ways. And then again, you know, I thought I could get into this business and have some, you know, sort of initial success in that um, it was really going to focus on service. And I thought we can outservice sort of bank, uh, you know, bigger banks and more traditional banks that are, you know, very much uh, rigid and, uh, and I sort of you know, build this as, you know, by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs focused on a specific market and said, you know, we think like business people, not like bankers. We're going to, so it had sort of this, um, this certain service mentality that resonated with our targeted uh, market. And uh, yeah. One other thing, and I probably should have asked it earlier, you know, everybody talks about getting, you know, raising capital and investors. Convincing can be a hard thing, getting the, the hard yes. You know, any, any thoughts on, you know, how you were able to convince those people? What did, what did they see in you or what did they see in your pitch? Yeah, to this day, and so I can say it because it was so long ago. I, I, I mean, I don't know how they invested because I've seen as I, I've sort of, you know, advanced my career and, you know, built up my own wealth and looked at different investments. Like I never would have invested uh, in this venture at that time with me and that sort of thing. I, so, so first off, my pitch was always um, a well-run community bank is a good long-term investment. And I had sort of data and information to show that. And, and especially in a growing market like Florida and specifically South Florida. So I had sort of data to show if I'm average or above average and I do all the, you know, cause like you said, it's sort of commoditized, sort of a proven business model. So again, my, my uh, mine is different than if you're you know, trying to create a new social media company. I had, you know, Hey, this thing works. I'm following, you know, almost, you know, like a franchise model, like, this model works. If you do a good job, if you hit all these things, it's at least a safe investment and we're in a growing market. And I think that I can be better than average. So I had to sort of give them reasons why I thought we could be better than average because I have contacts and we're going to put this, uh, 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 you know, the, this specific type of uh, service mentality and a service focus and go after this certain business group. And we're going to be a little bit better at at, uh, at sales and, and that sort of thing. So that's sort of, you know, how we sort of got the investor, uh, you know, so that was the initial, you know, sort of pitch to investors. And and there is, you know, a, a track record in investing in in banks. So I could show them again, show a lot of, a lot of data. And there are folks that, you know, like to invest in banks. So even now, even though I said I wouldn't invest and, and some guy that sounded like me back then, you know, I, I, I have made other investments in banks and sort of know which ones are, are good and not. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask was, you know, 850 million in, you know, 12 years, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive, uh, mm -hmm. growth. Um, you know, a, a lot of community banks stay at a, a certain level and, and kind of stick there what's been the key to, is it new customers? Is it existing customers? You know, you just got lucky and their business is growing or what, what's the key to that? 
Yeah, all right. So, uh, so, so in no particular order, uh, you know, um, we're, we're definitely in a growing market. Um, you know, Miami has been great over the last 10 years. There was, again, sort of the original, you know, premise of starting the business, there was sort of this void in the marketplace. They needed a, you know, service oriented bank to, towards a, a particular market. And then just, you know, delivering, having really good service. Our business is very much a, a word of mouth uh, business. So one of the things that I really liked about uh, banking is, um, so our demographic, or so our, our target market is uh, professional, small to mid-sized businesses. Um, that profile of client stays with their bank for an average of 12 years. So th that tells me that, you know, I went to sleep December 31st. So that $850 million number was our December 31st number. I went to sleep December 31st and our bank was $850 million in assets. I woke up January 1, we were $850 million in assets. I wasn't worried about anyone really leaving. People don't wake up one day and be like, I'm switching my bank today. And I may switch it again next week. You just don't do that. So that's great news that it's a very, very sticky product. The bad news is they don't do that when they're ranking with someone else. So to get people to switch is very, very difficult. So you gotta be in the right place, right time, have referrals um, and referral and word of mouth business uh is you know what's most important to to a bank yeah uh you know so, so, so i just wanted to give you a, a quick heads up and i'm sorry to do yeah. I, I need to drop off at like 20 minutes maybe like at 7 43 maybe yeah 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 that's fine right. yeah sounds good i'll ask yeah um you know as you look at your your business journey you know does you know, obviously you've grown in revenue, you've grown in people over these last, you know, 12 years or so. Any any business um, lessons that you can give to, you know, any CEOs or entrepreneurs or any anything like yeah, that? So, from one of the things that um, I would, you know, to a, to a C, you know, especially any CEO, especially a new CEO or a young CEO or an entrepreneur is um, don't underestimate uh, how much effort you're going to need to put into managing your own psychology. I think managing the CEO, managing their own psychology is the most important thing they can do. And the hardest thing that they can do in terms of, you know, they're, you know, you're the one that needs to, you know, you're, you're the captain, um, you know, you're the captain of the ship. And so you need to you know, have the, the strong hand at times or the steady hand at times. And, and you may feel fear, but you, you need to, you know, um, you know, reserve it and not show it to other people. You need to know when, um, you know, like, you know, you, uh, you know, I know you're a basketball fan. You're, uh, you know, as I heard an interview the other day with, with Doc Rivers. Did you ever hear the podcast with Brian Koppelman? No, I haven't. Oh. Well, Brian Koppelman has a, a podcast called In the Moment Anyways, and he interviews Doc Rivers and that's yeah. one of the questions. And, and he's like, when do you, when do you yell at a guy and when do you give him a pat on the back? And when, you know, when he's like, that's very, very hard. And, and, uh, and he's like, one of the things you have to really like, you have to do the work and realize well, why is that guy underperforming? Is it because he's dogging it? Or maybe he's just putting too much pressure on himself. And he goes, and I'll, and I'll go in and I'll talk to my assistant coach. I'm like, what's going on with that guy? And it's like, man, the guy's coming in earlier than anyone else. And he's taken, you know, a thousand shots, but he's just putting too much pressure on himself. And he goes, and another time it'll be a guy is dogging it. He is staying out to four o'clock. And he goes, but when I have that conversation with the guy, I got to get it right. Because if I tell him you're being lazy, and his real issue is that he's coming into and putting too much pressure. I've lost him. And, uh, and if I tell him to relax and he's really been staying out the four o'clock in the morning, I, you know, I, I then he's going to go another way too. 
And so just managing your own psychology and, and having to you know, so much effort in managing people. And, and so I always tell like our managers and stuff when, but then you, you, so right now we have performance review. I, I put such an emphasis on performance reviews um, and having you know, sort of good narratives and very strong one-on-one -on -one conversations because you have to have really good, honest conversations with people. It's the only way they're going to get better. The only way they're going to improve. You have to force a lot of, you know, a lot of people aren't good at self-reflection. So you have to force that self-reflection. And so you don't learn from experience. You only learn from, you know, your reflection on that experience. Um, and uh, so, you know, put a, a, a great deal of emphasis on that. And so, and again, sort of managing your own psychology, who are you talking to? How do you, how do you deal with fear? How do you deal, you know, with even motivating yourself? Um, how do you deal with issues with, um, you know, your, your spouse or your family, or if you're, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're alone and, and, and that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that whole thing, it's just constant, constant, constant. Um, yeah. And so you have to find outlets for that. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got two more questions before Great. you leave. Um, first is, you know, I, I asked you about it earlier, but you know, at, at your level, um, you know, how, how do you manage work-life balance or you do believe in that or what are your thoughts on I, that? I absolutely believe in that. So I, I, I so again, I, I went back to, like I said, my, uh, my KPIs, my personal scorecards. So one of the things I, I don't, I hope my, not too many of my employees watch this. So one <laughs> of the things is, um, so I don't respond to emails at night. Um, that's not true. I don't send emails at night. So I'll, I'll respond to them and I'll put send later and I'll, you know, it'll be my, so all my employees think I get up and start sending emails at, at 6am. No, it's, I'm, I'm doing them like now. So I'll do them yeah. maybe from 6pm to 7.30, 8pm or whatever. Cause I don't want them being at home. It's just my thing. I, I don't want them being at home and having to worry about my, my emails and the response. And I don't want to get their response while I'm home and they expect they will, well, they know I'm home. Um, and I don't work on the weekends unless I have to. I mean, I'm, there were times when I did did do that, but I don't I, I don't do it. And and so I just had a, a key executive come to our bank that we're I mean, just started uh, middle of January. So he just started, and he was a top guy in, in our industry and in our market. And he came from a, a bank much much bigger. It was a key executive, and it was a crazy environment over there. And he was really excited to come here. And I'm like, just so you know, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, I'm never going to call you on the weekend. If I call you, it's going to be about a sporting event um, or because I saw you driving down the street and, you know, thought of something. Um, if I send you an email and I, it's going to be really important. I'm not going to send you, you know, on silly stuff. And that's just how I want my life. Now, maybe our bank would be twice as big or something. I don't know, but that's just not what I want to do. So I sort of, I'm in a position, fortunately, where I can call the shots. You know, it's not like I have VC money and people say, no, you got to grow. 75% per year for the next three years. So I just happen to be in a different situation that I designed again, sort of going back with here's our game plan. Here's what we're going to do because that's what I want. And if I can convince everybody to buy in, I'm going to stick to that. So um, I'm very much into, you know, like I said, I, I run when I can to sort of manage, uh, you know, my own well-being and my own mental health. Um, again, I set sort of, you know, what are the guidelines and you know, my financial goals are, are tied to, you know, what, you know, my, what my wife and I, you know, want and, and, um, and need, and, you know, set it within, uh, you know, sort of, you know, reasonable boundaries. Um, but, but that's, you know, very, very important because even though, you know, again, sort of, you know, work life balance, I, you know, I still take work home. And last night I was thinking about, you know, 
woke up in the middle of the night. My wife's like, what, what is it? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> it was. I had, you know, four or five things in my mind because it, it, it's always with you. So I think you have to do the best you can. Um, and that's just the position I'm in. And there's other people that, you know, you don't have that luxury. You have to work uh, 80 hours, but, but, you know, know what you're, you know, know what price you're paying. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask, uh, you know, for someone like you, who's accomplished so much in the business world, you know, what motivates you? Cause you know, a lot of people I think, you know, are working to get to the level that you are maybe in their thirties and forties, you know, how do you like, what, what gets you out of bed? I mean, you've done so much. You've yeah. So it really goes back, you know, and it's a little cliche, but it's about, you know, finding your why and all that sort of stuff. And, that, and that's hard. It's harder than, so, you know, we didn't really touch on, I guess, you know, we could go on. So I told you about this 10 year plan. We started, you know, so bought this, you know, started up this bank by the time you know, we really started, it was March 15, 2010. Again, love 10 year plans. I had a 10 year plan. We're going to get to a certain size by all the parameters. Like we're going to grow this fast, but I'm not going to do all these other crazy things, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, again, key metric, uh, my kids were growing up, I want to spend, uh, you know, a certain amount of time having dinner with them. At any given moment, my daughter's playing soccer, my son has, my son's a musician, he's in, I want to be able to get, a, so I want to build an organization that's like, bye, see you later. Not everybody can do that. So I sort of had this plan, I had, you know, my board of directors and everything, and, and we hit every plan. And at the 10 year mark, I told myself that if we get to a certain size, and we do all these things and I get a certain offer to sell the bank. I want to sell the bank. Almost 10 years to the date, you know, guy comes in and says, you know, you've sort of talked about this. Someone hit your number and they hit these metrics um, that you'd sell the bank. And uh, we had someone come in and it was, you know, so it was, they had to hit a certain price. They had to, you know, I had certain you know things that they had to, to hit um, sort of a, uh, a scenario that, that they need to, uh, to have for, for my situation. Um, I wanted them to keep hundred percent of our employees. We're very involved in our community. I wanted them to, to, to continue to be involved in, in our community. Um, and I wanted a very easy transaction. I didn't want to have a, a public auction. Um, I wanted to work with a, with an, an easygoing party. And, and we had that and we, and we announced the sale and, um, my board of directors didn't even know I was working on it. They were gone for the summer, came back, I presented it. And they're like, this is exactly what you said you would say yes to, I guess this is what you want to do. And we announced it and, uh, and our employees, you know, they were all keeping their jobs and had interesting opportunities. And I loved work. I loved sort of working with what was going to be my potential boss. And it was a a 10 year plan and it it was, you know, smooth sailing. And at the time, uh, March, first week of March, 2010, uh, I was talking to my wife and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know what's I'm not, I had this 10 year plan and everything worked as I thought it would, and it's so great, but I have no idea what the next 10 years is gonna be like. And I was kind of freaking out and this thing like COVID, they're like, hey, you might have stayed home. I'm like, oh good, <laughs> I'm gonna take those two weeks and I'm gonna think about what I want. And then fast forward, it was uh, family safety, my kids coming back home, employee safety, getting creating a, a remote workforce, banks being uh, an essential business so being able to meet client needs and them, you know, worrying about panic, then PPP, we were almost fully integrated with this uh, 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 acquirer um, and started to realize that the economy was taking a turn. I'm like, oh, you know, oh shit, like this might not close. They might not get regulatory approval and grinding, grinding, grinding. And we we're supposed to close at the end of May. 
first week of May, get a phone call from, you know, the regulators and they said, this is, you know, you can't close this deal. We're in the middle of a, of a pandemic and, you know, the world might come to an end. What do you, you know, what to them really, you know, what are you guys doing, expanding your business and making a significant capital uh, investment in a, in a whole new market and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, outside of our control, we didn't get regulatory approval and it was crazy. That's not what I expected. Everything had gone right. It seemed something completely outside my control. Me and the other CEO, we never got in a fight. We never raised our voice. It was no, you know, his lawyers could sort of doctor up how we ended things, but we were never upset. We, I mean, we were, the guy lives in Tampa. So we were texting about, you know, Tampa Bay, Buckingham. we still have a great relationship. Yeah. And it was so crazy weird that everything I wanted, everything I accomplished, I mean, everything I wanted to accomplish happened. And like the, the, the analogy I use is like, I was flying this, this long distance flight and it's going across the world and everything goes smooth and I have all these passengers and coming in for a landing and we're like just coming in for a landing and like we're 10 feet off the ground and all of a sudden I need to pull up because I think we're going to crash and we're all going to die and I pull up and we're able to save the day and we're up and I'm like, what the hell goes next? And so when we announced the sale, the cancellation of the deal, you know, I was devastated. What's next? But I need to put on a good face. So I told our shareholders and all of our shareholders were like, hey, it's COVID. All of our businesses are going crazy. You know, this isn't what we wanted to hear, but it ain't your fault. Do what you can to sort of keep the business going. I had to tell our employees, I remember it was, you know, like a, a night like this, it was, you know, working late and what I'm going to tell our employees I scheduled a meet uh, a conference call, a Zoom call for everybody. Again, it's beginning of May. So everyone's still freaked out about health. So they, you know, they thought it was a health related issue. And uh, we had an 8 a.m. Zoom call and told everybody, hey, we're not going to do the merger anymore. You know, we're going to Apollo Bank. Uh, you know, it's Apollo Bank 2.0. We're going to make this bigger, better, stronger. And if you would have seen my screen, you'd think we'd won the Super Bowl. And everyone's like, so this is great. We're so excited. You know, uh, we signed up to be employees of Apollo Bank, not of this other organization, even though that was going to be, you know, thanks for keeping 100% of our jobs. This is what we want to do. We're behind you what is Apollo bank 2.0? I'm like, I have no idea. Like <laughs> I made that up. Like, on and, uh, and, and seeing that. And then our clients were like, Hey, we signed up to work with, with you guys. You know, as long as it's the same team, same technology, that sort of thing, we're ready to move. So we didn't lose any clients. If anything, we, uh, we've only grown. And, but being able to say like, I thought I was struggling for what comes next after Apollo, but now, I got to figure out what's next for Apollo, which that's a scenario I never described. And so, like I said, it was like, I, I was coming in for a landing, pull up, you know, we didn't crash. No one died. All of a sudden everyone's on the planes cheering the people in, in the, in, you know, in, in the flight tower saying, you know, great job. And I'm like, what do I do now? Do I come back around and try to land again? Do I land somewhere else and refuel? How do I refuel both myself and everyone? Is anybody getting off the plane or do I just make like, no, what I have to do is plan the next long-term journey. And so setting the goals and trying to figure out, and it was not easy, man. It was not easy. For yeah. No, it doesn't sound like it. Clients and, and client, you know, put the best face forward for, you know, clients and employees and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and really find like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And it's been, you know, a hard couple months. And I went back to, you know, some of the same things like, um, you know, I, I, you know, humbly, you know, believe that, you know, one of the great, you know, that I was a part of, um, you know, saving jobs, you know, through uh, PPP and keeping our business strong, you know, keeping during, during this pandemic, 
that we were still lending and working with clients during this pandemic, that we kept our employees safe. And there was a lot of things that we've done. So one of the things I'm most proud of um, for like five years running or, or maybe even more, we've been one of the, ranked as one of the top places to work in the state of Florida. Um, nationally, we're one of the top 25 banks to work for in the country. So we've just created wow. this great environment yeah. where it's employees, employees, employees. You know, we're going to create you know, great uh, experience and be really involved in our community. And so I had to remind myself, like, those are the things that really made me happy. And, and I had to um, talk to myself. I'm like, all right, what was I really excited about doing sort of, you know, post-sale? How do I make this thing right now, Apollo Bank 2.0, feel like or look like the things that I was really excited about? So I, I've, I've, you know, done a bunch. I'm, I'm in the process they've done. So brought in, you know, a new executive management team, you know, some new team members, working on rebranding. Um, so one of the things that I'm, you know, really interested in care is like mindfulness. So now we're, you know, I, I told our, our executive manager, I'm like, I'm working with a mindfulness coach and I'm opening up for all of you and, and we're going to roll it out there, the entire organization and all of you, you don't have to stay, stick with it, but you need to do it for the next four, you know, uh, you need to work with this woman for the next four weeks. And so come like those, are, so I'm trying to do a bunch of those little things and incorporate to make it feel like, um, you know, the next thing that I wanted to do, as opposed to just sort of, we're going into the 10th inning um, and we, and, and we need to end this game. No, it's, it, it's, it, it's a whole new season. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you know, Eddie, we, we talked about a uh, good amount in, in this time. Uh, was there anything else that uh, you wanted to talk about? No, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate your questions and, and, um, and what you're working to do with this, with this podcast. And I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know how helpful I am to, will be to anyone that hears it, but I think the, the stories, the, the human stories of how people deal with, you know, real everyday challenges. So um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. I think listening to Elon Musk is really dangerous for the, for the average person because he's not, he, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are not normal people and you should not model your life around them and their accomplishments. And, and you have to look to uh, to others to hear their stories and how they, you know, and, and, and again, go back to, you know, what, what's your personal scorecard? So Elon Musk wants to live on Mars. Is that, is that your goal? Um, God bless him. I'm glad he's doing it. I don't want to <laughs> live on Mars. Yeah. Um, and so really define, um, you know, what your own personal KPIs, what your own personal metrics and just stick to that. And don't worry about uh, the Joneses or what Elon Musk is doing and, and really focus on, uh, you know, on your own life and making it better. Yeah. Eddie, I, I just want to thank you. Uh, it was really cool meeting meeting you and, and learning from your story. Um, just, you know, the amount of... I, I, I still am amazed that, you know, uh, someone who had never worked, you know, you know, in banking, you know, obviously you were on board, board member, but with it, and then started your own uh, bank and have now built it to, to close to a billion in total assets in 12 years. Uh, that's quite the, uh, yeah. the accomplishment and thank uh, you through it, through it all. It, it seems like you've done a good job of, uh, continuing to value personal life and, and things of that nature, which is just great to see that people can see, you know, you can, um, be successful and, um, you don't have to sacrifice, you know, everything for it. So, uh, thank you, don't, you. you don't have to sacrifice everything, but you have to sacrifice some things. Yes. Yes. No, no, for sure. But, uh, um, yeah. So thank, thank you for no, joining I really us. Really enjoy it. And, and I hope we stay in touch and, uh, 
and uh, yeah, and I'll follow up with uh, with an email and a note, and, and yeah. So sounds good. Uh, sounds good. Go, go BC Eagles. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks so much.